0: We are continuing our series, Rediscovering Jesus, A Journey Through the Gospels. And uh, a subtext or sub-theme throughout the sermon series, you guys, has been this comparison between religion and gospel. Okay? Religion and gospel. And what we've been saying is that religion's perspective is this, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I obey, therefore I'm loved. I obey, therefore I'm in. And the resulting attitude is, therefore God owes me. Therefore, uh, God doesn't have a claim on my life. Actually, I have a claim on God. Therefore, I'm entitled in religion to a happy life, to prosperity, to blessings, to success, whatever else have you. When those things don't work out, in religion, we get really mad at God because look at all that I'm doing for you. Or get really mad at ourselves because we're saying, maybe I'm just not doing enough. And as Michelle shared last Sunday, there's no life there. There's spiritual deadness, pride The gospel is radically different. The gospel comes along and says, we are radically and unconditionally accepted and loved by faith in Christ. Therefore, I obey. Therefore, I live a good Christian life. Therefore, I do the things that God calls me to do. The bottom line, motivation is entirely different. And the resulting attitude is, check this out, the reason why I want to live my life for the glory of God is not so that he would accept me, not so that he would bless me, not so that he would love me, because that's been taken care of. That's been taken care of. That's never going to change. So I live my life with this overwhelming sense of, how could I not live my life? How could I not love? How could I not give my life to the one who did that for me? That although I am more wicked and more sinful than I dared believe, in Christ I am more accepted and more loved right now, right now, not tomorrow, not if you do better next month, right now, at the same time. Uh, I, I've heard that uh, there's some of you who've uh, sat back throughout the sermon series and said, you know, I mean, that whole thing is like, I could see it resonating with people who came from, you know, you're recovering fundamentalists, you know, you're recovering like religion, very conservative, legalistic church, and you're going, oh, that's like breath of fresh air. But then there's some of us that are kind of like, you know, I don't come from that background. Matter of fact, I come from a very liberal background, if you will, where there was never an issue. I knew that God loved me. And so I'm radically involved in social justice and doing all these things. Listen, do you know that one of the primary ways that we live out our religion is through being good, through helping people? I'm not knocking social justice; it's a core value of our church. But there's a radical difference between you doing it because God loves me. Look at what He's done for me. I am loved. I am accepted. I am radically beautiful in His eyes. Versus, I need His acceptance. I need Him to love me. I need Him to bless me. And so, how do you know if you're how do you know if you're doing out of religion or not? Let me ask you: Are you spiritually alive? in what you're doing. Is there a sense of joy? Listen, the problem with us is that we think that the gospel is sort of the, uh, for non-Christians and the gospel uh, is for those that are just beginning the journey. Let me put it this way. The gospel is not just the A, B, C's of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. You don't get saved by believing the gospel and then grow by trying really hard. You get saved by believing the gospel and check this out, you're transformed radically by believing the gospel. See the difference? So ask yourself, do you believe the gospel? Oh that's for non christians No, 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 it's for you. Lack of belief in and a daily appropriation of the gospel is the result is the reason for spiritual deadness, pride, and lack of joy in our hearts and our lives. So we continue the journey of looking through the gospels to see the gospel in the life of Jesus because he didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish in intimate relationship with him, founded, anchored in the gospel. Um, So open your Bibles with me to Luke. Luke uh, chapter, uh, let's see, what am I preaching on this morning? Um, Oh yeah, Luke chapter 7. In all seriousness, uh, I've been like sick for like two and a half, three weeks, and so I'm feeling really weak. Like physically, you know, I'm feeling really weak. But that's good news because every time I feel like this, when I'm really weak, somehow God actually shows up. It's those times when I'm all, you know, jazzed up and all ready to go that just nothing happens, you know. So, So this is good. I'm just, help me, Lord. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, in that city, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Can you just can you just picture that for a moment with me? Picture that scene. See, we just go that that is right through. Just picture that scene. The woman of the city who had lived a sinful life, basically a prostitute standing near Jesus. Tears falling down on his feet. And by the way, he was God, but I mean people back then wore sandals, you know, so his feet were pretty nasty and dirty, you know what I'm saying? So it's not like, you know, and, 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 and she lets her hair down, which was huge, by the way, in that culture. I don't see why. And she wipes it with her hair. She's kissing it. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, or some translations, he thought, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And uh, in some translations, in parentheses, it says, with attitude. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't. It's just, I, 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 I. but you know, I mean, you, can't you just see it? Look at his words. He goes, all right, tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus tells his parable. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of man had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them... Simon will love him more. Simon replied, Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you, so go in peace. There's two characters in this story. And it's intentional. The gospel writer Luke is contrasting to two characters and their approach to Jesus. One is he describes it as a woman from the city who is a sinner. And again, many scholars believe what he was referring to is a prostitute. And she has come. People back then at these typical banquets and parties, here's what it looked like. There was a long table, a little bit off the floor, and the guests reclined with their elbows to the table on cushions with their feet leaning back. And, and, and the doors were open to this kind of a banquet or table and so the public actually was invited to be able to come in and be a part of this in a sense of standing out you know, so, so far on the side kind of listening in on the conversation. This woman has come, a prostitute, a sinner from the city and she came to do something to Jesus. She came to anoint his feet with an alabaster jar of perfume but before she can do it, something happens. She uncontrollably she's weeping Then she wipes undoes her hair significant we'll get to that wipes his feet with her hair the other character is Simon here's the thing about Simon that you guys probably didn't realize he's interested in Jesus he's a seeker he's interested in Jesus he's a seeker despite maybe what we even thought. See, there's only two, two, two instances in the Gospels where somebody actually go, uh, went and sought out Jesus, okay? One was Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But the Bible says in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus went to see Jesus at, anybody know, at what? At nighttime. Why? Because he wants to go and nobody's around. But here's Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's inviting Jesus in broad daylight to dinner. He is risking the scorn and ridicule of other Pharisees. Why? He's interested in Jesus. They're both seekers. They're both wanting to encounter Jesus. But that's where the similarities end. That's where the similarities end. And as a result, Jesus embraces her and rejects him. Jesus rebukes him and Jesus accepts her. Why? Why? That's what this passage is about. There's three movements in this passage. One, first movement. They respond to Jesus in two totally different ways. You're getting the sense of that. And in the middle of this, in the parable especially, Jesus shows us why they're responding to Jesus in two totally different ways. And that's because their understanding of Jesus is two totally different things. And at the very end, third movement, if you will, Jesus then responds to them in two totally different ways. So let's take a look. The response to Jesus, Simon. The best way to describe Simon's response to Jesus is to say that he responds to Jesus or approaches Jesus some sort of an intellectual, detached, impersonal way. Okay. You notice in verse thirty-nine, he's thinking. That's the key verb. He's thinking. Okay. He's thinking to himself. Okay. He's thinking. What is he thinking? He's saying. He-, he claims to be a divine, holy man, but he c- can't be thinking because if he was truly divine he would know who's touching him and if he knew he was touching him he wouldn't let her touch him so he can't be divine he also can't be holy because if he was holy again he would know who is touching him She's a prostitute she's a sinner and so holy man wouldn't allow someone like so he's thinking and that's okay but here's the thing you notice that's all he does that's all he does He comes to Jesus, he's thinking, but that's all he does. He stays detached, he stays remote, impersonal. And the whole encounter with Jesus is an intellectual experience. Uh, New Community Covenant Church, I'm always challenging us to be thinking Christians, right? There needs to be more intellectual rigor in our faith, approach to our faith. But listen, for some of you, your relationship with Jesus is literally an intellectual exercise. It's a belief in a series of propositions. You know the doctrines. You know theology. But how personal, intimate is your relationship with this living Jesus? And you'll see how personal it was with her. See, the Christianity claims that God is spirit, right? But don't think Eastern religions. The Bible also says that this God who is spirit is also a person invites you to draw close, invites you to come in, invites you to have an intimate relationship with him. Uh, as I thought about some of us in our intellectual approach and a deep, intimate personal relationship, I thought about a conversation I have with my wife regularly. You know, for her birthday, we went out to dinner, right? And she asked me this at the most inopportune times. She'll look at me and she'll say, Peter, tell me five reasons why you love me. So, you know, I'm right there, and I'm about to dig into my fogo. You know, I'm about to dig into my meat, and, and you know, it's like, oh, okay. five, five reasons. Let me see. Um, and here's what we sound like with Jesus, right? Some of us, I go, like my wife, I go, five reasons why I love you. Well, let's see. I love you because you are five foot three inches tall. wish she would go, that melts my heart to know that you love. What? This is silly analogy, but you know what I'm getting at? Some of you go, I love Jesus. Why? He's all-powerful. My question to you is, have you experienced his power? I love Jesus. Why? He's all-knowing. Do you know the one who says, I know every single hair on your head? I know we're saying that He is a good God. Really, have you experienced His goodness? There's a world of difference between knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. By the way, if you're wondering, what do I tell my wife? It's totally random, right? And you know, I say stuff. Like, I go, I love you because you have the biggest, most gracious, and generous heart than anybody else I've known. And the only way I would know that is intimacy. When the woman comes to Jesus, she immediately becomes personal and involved. Notice, you guys. Look at the, look at your Bibles. Her whole self is involved. Her whole self. How do we know? Well, Jesus says it. Jesus points it out to Simon. And Jesus says she's, she hugs me. She anointed me with oil. She kissed me. And you know what Simon says? Listen, check this out. Simon's going to Jesus. What? Hey, you, you want me to do that? And Jesus says, yeah. Yes. What Jesus is going after, and this is so pertinent to some of you that are here, especially if you're s- searching Christianity. Uh, what Jesus is going after is Simon's impersonal detached religion. Let me say it again, impersonal, detached religion, because this seeker, Simon, doesn't expect this thing with Jesus to be anything other than this impersonal, detached religion. Here's why this is important. If you believe what our culture says about who Jesus is and what Jesus means, the result is inevitably a detached, impersonal religion. Let me say that again. If you embrace what our culture says about Jesus, what you have is an impersonal assignment kind of religion. You go, what the heck are you talking about? Let me try and break this down, okay? And I, I don't claim to know, do this well, but let me try and break this down, okay? People in our culture say this. People in our culture say, why are you Christians making so much big deal about Jesus? The important thing is that we follow his ways. The important thing is that we learn from him. The important thing is that we, we, we do the example of what he did. Learn from him. He's a great teacher, great great philosopher great prophet leader and they're saying you know it's too exclusionary it's too exclusive to go you gotta worship Jesus he's gotta be the only way truth and life that's too we don't wanna exclude people we wanna embrace everybody so therefore what we really wanna do is follow his teaching follow his ways learn from him live the way he lived which all sounds good right? Well, they're essentially saying is separate the message from the messenger separate the message from the messenger but here's what you have are you tracking so far? Okay, here's what you have when you separate the message from the messenger, right? When our culture says, you know what, it's really not important what you think about Jesus. It's important that what you think about what he did, how to follow him, so on and so forth. There's a premise, and the premise is, again, we live in a world that says we got to embrace everybody. You can't be exclusionary. And so if you want to worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's great. That's good for you. But for the rest of us, we want to be able to follow his example. Do what he says to do, because that's the important thing. Separate the message from the messenger. Essentially what you have is, it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus as long as you're a good moral person. As long as you're a decent human being. Now check this out. Jesus says the exact opposite. It's not just a little different. It's a lot different. Why? She's not a good person. Are you tracking... She is not a good person. She is a prostitute. She is a sinner. In the world's house, she is not a good person. And Jesus is coming along and saying, that moment, completely different. He says, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. The starting point of the Christian life is, what do you say about me? Do you believe in me? Do you trust in me? Do you want to have this passionate, wild relationship with me? What do you think about... Do you, do you know why for some of us, when I, when I said... She's not a good person. And Jesus, some of us, there's this thing inside of it that just kind of comes up. You know what that is? That's called layers and layers and layers of religion. That says, I don't care what Jesus says or who he is, as long as I'm a good moral person. The gospel is completely different. He says, it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. What matters that the starting point is what do you think about me? Does that make sense? See, here's the thing. When you say, separate the message from the messenger, it doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. It just matters that you're a good moral person. You do the things, la-da-da-da, yada yada Here's what happens. You, that wants to be more inclusive, wind up being very exclusive. Why? Because the mentality that says, it doesn't matter what you think about Jesus, as long as you're a good moral person, you exclude a whole bunch of people who aren't very good at being good. Who have no shot at this Christian faith. Because they're not very good. Does that make sense at all? Say amen if it does. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? That's good, That's good news, right? See, this, this gives you a tool when you interact with your non-Christian friends because when they go, it's too exclusive, then you go, well, by you saying it needs to be inclusive, you're automatically being very exclusive. Who? Immoral people. Indiscent people. People who aren't very good at being good. And secondly, and this is even more important to this, secondly, when you do that, you know what you're doing? You're excluding and taking out the heart and soul of the Christian life, and that is the personal. You know what the result is of Simon religion? Give me the rules, give me the noble way to live, let me do the things. You know what results in that? An impersonal, detached religion without tears, without laying your hair down, without touching, without weeping. Is that what you want? Because that's what you have when you separate the message from the messenger. See, I'm not very smart, so you got to know that I did the uh, didn't originate with me. And furthermore, I had to like chew on that for like five weeks just so that I could present it to you like that. Did that make sense? Okay. <laughs> you got, all right, all right. Do you know what creeps Simon out? Do you know what really creeps him out? She's touching him. That's just creeping him out. She is touching him. And he's saying, "Ah!" Oh. he's saying, I want a detached religion, an impersonal religion. Give me some rules. Give me the noble way to live. Show me what to do. Because that old touching, weeping, letting air down thing, I'm not about that. And Jesus says, you don't want to be about that, then you can't know me. They also respond to Jesus in two different ways by coming the way they come. And this, by the way, is the reason why you're holding a red cups today, okay? You're going, are we going to get some, you know, beverage, like, (laughs) at some point today? Maybe, maybe, okay, maybe you'll get beverage, maybe you won't. Look, listen to this. Another way, different way they respond is she comes to Jesus without any conditions, and he comes to Jesus with major conditions. How? Check this out. The alabaster jar of perfume. The alabaster jar of perfume was this beautiful vase. Is it vase or vase? I guess if you're snotty and stuck up, you say vase. Where I come from, you call it a vase. Okay, a vase or... A anyway, there's this there's this thing. Okay, and it was enclosed. Here's the important thing about the alabaster jar of perfume. It was enclosed. In other words, once the contents were poured, they closed it, like permanently. The only way to use it was to break off the top, break off the top of this Alabaster jar perfume. That's the only way to use it, and the significance is that once it was broken off, once you poured it, that was it. You know, you didn't have the opportunity (laughs) put a cap back on there. I'll use it a little bit later, you know, and stuff. And once you broke and you poured it, that was it. Now, here's the thing, though, for those of us that have heard this story, you know, the angle has always been that was very expensive. I know some of you guys hate it when I do that, right? It was very expensive, and it was years, worth the year's wages, Some you know, A, and it was just costly, and boy, she was going out of it. Or, you know, it was hugely costly, and so the whole angle is, and how costly is your relationship with Jesus, you know? We go, oh, it's so co- I don't know if I can do that, you know, my year's worth of wages, and I don't, I don't. Actually, that's what it is. That's what it's about. oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. With, with a twist. Here's the twist. Listen, listen, listen. Everybody, listen. You know what the twist is? You and I have no idea how costly it was for her. Why? Here's the deal. What does a prostitute have? What is her power and leverage in life? You know what her power and average, uh, leverage in life is? It's her attractability. It's her desirability. The perfume isn't just a symbol of, well, here's a year's worth, the wages it's costly. You know what she's giving to Jesus? She's laying down at her. The only thing that gives her power and leverage in life, that is our attractability, our desirability. the only thing that allows her to get up in the morning look in the mirror and say at least I have this at least I have this I can face life you know what that means she pours that out to Jesus because she understands something that many of us have a really hard time getting because if Jesus is who he says he is she's saying it changes everything Jesus you could demand anything from me. A relationship with you is limitless in commitment. And furthermore, a relationship with this Jesus doesn't just mean, here, Jesus, I give you all that I have. A relationship with this Jesus means, I give you all that I You know what that cup represents for you and me it's what gives you leverage and power in life that cup is the thing that fills that cup is what allows you to get up in the morning and say at least I have this I'll get to that in a moment but check this out because of what she does she doesn't become powerless but she becomes even more powerful okay At a moment of weakest vulnerability, she becomes even more powerful. How do we know? Look at her. She doesn't care. She's in this crowd full of men, very racist men, very sexist men, who fully know that a woman letting her hair down in public was a symbol and sign of moral looseness. Somewhat so that the rabbi said, if your wife lets her hair down in public, you can divorce her. And here she is letting her hair down and wiping. And, and, and everybody's going, what in the world? And she doesn't care. Why? Her eyes are not on them. Her eyes are on Jesus. And here's the other thing. Letting your hair down. It, you know, some things are cross-cultural. Even cross, you know, generations, I guess. Letting your hair down in that culture also meant, I'm vulnerable to you. I'm open to you. And you know, also, like in our culture today, when a woman lets her hair down, Say, let your hair down, lady woman. Well, maybe it's just me. Okay, my wife has beautiful, silky black hair. Okay, which is reason number two on why I love her. By the way, okay. (laughs) In all seriousness, in moments of intimacy, you know, it's let your hair down, honey. You know what that means? That when she does it, that means I'm open, I'm vulnerable to you. I surrender all to you. And listen to this. When she surrendered to Jesus, important, pay attention. When she surrendered to Jesus, the only thing that gave her leverage, power in life, her desirability, attractiveness, what men think of her, when she gave that all up to Jesus, you know what she realized? For the very first time, by surrendering to Jesus, she realized that she will never, ever have to surrender to any man ever again. To find significance, to find worth, to find validation. Can I just, okay, practical application, okay? For some of us, you know, that have a harder time, like, where's he going with this? Well, what is the power leverage? Okay, let me just, ladies. This is hard for me. This is hard for me because this is when I get really upset and angered by the culture that we live in. You live in a, breathe in a culture where it says to you, your attractiveness, your desirability is what gives you your worth. And you've bought into that lie wholeheartedly you are a beautiful young woman here today for whom your leverage and your power in life is your attractability your desirability and what men think of you and you think that that's what gives you strength you think that that's what gives you power you're incredibly weak You spend the rest of your life Going from one relationship to another One relationship to another Desperately yearning and seeking For that thing to give you Power and leverage in life Their validation of you Empty Unfulfilled Constantly longing for more (laughs) Those of us going I'm glad I'm not attractive (laughs) Think for us It's even harder You ready? You know what your leverage in life is? Your leverage in life is, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm smart. Your leverage and your power in life is, I am moral, I am a good Christian. Your leverage and power is my grade. Your leverage and power is everything and anything but Jesus. And you know deep down inside, you're building your foundation on sand, You know that deep down inside, you're saying to yourself, how long am I going to be able to keep this up? You know that deep down inside, when somebody criticizes you in that area, and you get destroyed, and you say to yourself, I can't make this the foundation of my life, and yet you have not surrendered that to Jesus. How long will you continue to leverage and find power in life through anything and everything but Christ? As long as you do that, you are building your house on a stack of playing cards. And it's going to crumble. What is your leverage and power in life? What, what, what fills this cup? What, what is in here that you say to yourself every morning, that's why I can get up tomorrow. That's why I can face another day. That's why I can keep going. What is it? Unless you surrender that to Jesus. And you go, what, what does it mean to surrender? You know what that means? That means coming to Jesus honestly and admitting, I have found my life and my power and leverage in that, Jesus. I don't want to do it anymore. And I repent. And repentance is, just, I'm sorry for that. Repentance is, I'm going to uproot everything that I've built my life on, Jesus, and build on another foundation that is Jesus. Where are you? Are you coming to Jesus with conditions? Are you coming to Jesus unconditionally, pouring, laying down the thing that gives you power and leverage and life? If you're not a Christian or even a Christian and your approach to Jesus has been, I, I want to follow you, but uh, does it mean I have to change my opinions about that? Does it mean I have to believe that? Does it mean that I have to come to accept that, rearrange some things? Does not mean that? And you know what I get a lot from non-Christians? I say, if I become a Christian, does it mean that I have to stop sleeping around? typical, you know, kind of the, the uh, sleeping around, you know, that type of thing. But we all have it as Christians, too. Does not mean, and here's what I'm saying to you. Listen to this, okay? Here's what I'm saying to you. How ridiculous is it? How ridiculous is it if Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God, to come to Jesus with a condition of saying, hey, will you help me live the way I want to live? Because what Jesus would come right back to you and say, how the heck would you know what your life is even supposed to look like until you know the author of life? How would you presume to know what the heck your life is to, to be and go, so on and so forth, unless you even realize at the bottom of your heart that you're not an accident, you're not by random chance, but that you are someone fashioned in the image of God with unbelievable potential? How would you presume to know what your life knows? How would you presume to know what marriage is, what sex is, what everything else is until you know the Son of God, Jesus. See, a lot of people come and say, you know, I'm seeking Jesus. I'm asking lots of questions, but I don't get any answers. <laughs> My question is, are you asking questions or are you giving orders? If you're not asking questions, why are you expecting an answer? I've got conditions and I've got, Jesus is going, you know, come back when you're serious. She lays it all out. She lays it all out. He holds back. See how there's a sense in which Simon is seeking Jesus, but he's not. Where are you, Christian and not? Where are you? Where are you today? See, if what fills this cup, let me tell you, if what fills this cup is anything and everything but Jesus, if what gives you power and leverage in life is anything and everything but Jesus, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how often you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how you pray. It doesn't matter how, how many Christian activities you do. If at the foundation of your life is another God idol besides Jesus, Let's. Uh, oh. You know, literally every Sunday I realize I'm like, man, I could I could literally preach every sermon on Sunday like in two parts, and you guys would walk out of here with your head spinning, going, he talks too fast. There are two people that are responding very differently. Why? Because of two very different understandings of Jesus. Listen, this is so important here. The reason why they're responding to Jesus in two different ways, impersonal, detached, conditions, and personal, whole self, and, 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 and intimate is because Simon here, Jesus is trying to show him, that he doesn't understand his need for a Savior, like the way she understands her need for a Savior. Thank you, Stephen. Holy cow, that, that was a powerful moment right there. I had Stephen just goes, That's right. That's the first time, like in eight years we've known together, he actually talked back during a sermon. <laughs> you know, I love you, man. Um, you know what's beautiful? I'm sorry. Come on, come on back, come on back. You know what's beautiful about this parable that Jesus tells? Listen. Oh, this is. Um, The whole point of the parable is this. The whole point of the parable is it doesn't matter how much in debt you are if you don't have the means to pay it back. That's the whole point of the parable. Now, why is this significant for us? Because there are many of us who sit here going, my debt wasn't that great. My debt was not that great. I lived a good moral life. I'm a good Christian boy. I'm a good Christian girl. I was never a prostitute, certainly never never. a pimp. But here's the here's the troubling thing about that. You see, watch, watch, check this out. Here's the troubling thing about this. See, we perceive. Look, this is how we perceive it. See, there's two ways that a person could be spiritually dead. Okay, there's one way, and here's how you die spiritually, or you're dead spiritually. You're sleeping at night, windows open. It's a beautiful summer day, and a poisonous spider climbs up the side of your house, and a poisonous spider climbs through your window, and a poisonous spider climbs through your arm. And the poison spider bites you, and the poison spreads throughout the rest of your body, and you die in your sleep. And then there, for some of us, here's how we, you know, get dead or die. Uh, Our windows open, beautiful summer day, but in a zoo nearby, you know, apparently a lion, you know, was like loosened or something, right? So this lion was, you know, wandering around, all of a sudden saw your house, and the lion jumped through the window, jumped inside of your bedroom, and just mauled you to death. Just tore you to pieces. Just ripped everything, shredded apart, right? Now here's the thing, you guys. Listen, listen. Um, if you get, if you get mauled, listen. If you get mauled by a lion, you're ugly dead. You're just ugly dead. And if you get bit by a poison spider, you're pretty dead. But at the end of the day, does it doesn't matter how dead you are. Does it really matter? Does it really matter how dead you are? See, Simon is pretty dead, you know? He's, hey, I kept a good moral life. You know, I've been a good Christian, good religious person. You know, I've kept out of all these things. And that's why he wants a Simon religion. Because if you want, if you, that's your approach. Simon religion is, listen, Jesus, at the end of the day, I'm not that bad. I'm not really all that flawed. I don't have huge, massive sins in my life, in my closet. And Jesus is going, precisely, that's why you want an impersonal, detached religion. He's looking at her and she's going, she's mauled to death. Look at all that's ugly. And she's going, Does it matter how big the debt is if you do not have the means to pay it back? So some of you guys sit there, you're sitting there going, Well, I I'm pretty dead, you know? I was pretty dead. I never and and, and you're looking at other people going, "Ah, that's ugly dead. And God's going. (laughs) I think that's what God's going. God's going, come on. See, we misunderstand the nature of sin. You know what the Bible, the Bible says the nature of sin. This is why it says, for all fallen, uh, sin and for showing the glory of God. The Bible says at the end of the day, sin is not breaking those rules, lots of rules. Sin is breaking the one rule in the Bible. What's the one rule in the Bible? The one thing that you and I got to know, that is, there's a creator God and you're not him. And everything that we do functions out of that Foundation. Religious people, I am God, I'm finding my own salvation, I'm going to do this thing by doing good things, I'm obeying. Irreligious people say, doesn't matter what anybody says, they're no God, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to. But both people are trying to be their own gods, finding salvation. And Jesus says, that is the bent of the human sin. And you can be ugly dead because you're irreligious, or you can be pretty dead because you're religious, but without Christ, you're both dead. The other thing that Simon doesn't realize is the cost. The cost. That's another beautiful thing in this variable is the cost. See, the whole thing about the, the debt being forgiven is, 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 a, is a metaphor for salvation and forgiveness of sin. The thing about forgiveness, you guys, we have to realize this. You think about this. In order for there to be forgiveness, in order for there to be, somebody has to pay. What do I mean? In order for there to be forgiveness of this debt, if you, as a debtor, doesn't have the means to pay it back and that, and, that and yet the creditor says that's okay, then the creditor has to pay for you. Without Without somebody paying, there's no forgiveness. For example, if Michael wrongs me, Michael wrongs me, and I want him, to, I want him to, to, to earn my forgiveness, I make him pay. But if I say, you know what, Michael? You've wronged me, but that's okay. I forgive you. That means I pay for him to be forgiven. The beautiful thing about this parable is, listen, Jesus is saying somebody had to pay the debt. And if it was up to you and I to pay the debt, we would be lost forever. And he says, God paid the debt. For who? For you and me. Do you know why this is important? Because some of you guys sat out there and when I said, if you want a Simon religion, you're going to have an impersonal religion. Because you're sitting there going, how dare you say that to me? I don't know Jesus. I don't want Jesus. But I have a very personal relationship with Jesus. To which I'll say, well, really? What did it cost your God then to have that relationship with you? To which you say, what do you mean cost? Well, where are the nails? Where are the thorns? Where's the blood? Where's the cross? And if you sit there and go, I don't need all that. Well, nails, thorns, cross, the cost of sacrifice for me to have a personal relationship with God precisely. That's the reason why you're not weeping. That's the reason why you can't let go of the most important thing in your life. That's the reason why you're not blown away. Blown away by His love. Why do you think every Sunday I point to the cross and I say, he did that for you. He did that. You know why? Because many of us are so embedded in religion, embedded, embedded in religion, that literally it's a detached, remote, impersonal behavior. You want to change? The Bible says simple, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. (laughs) The only way that I can stand up here and say, lay down your life, is For you to realize that he did that for you. Otherwise, lay down your life is a burden. It's a chore. It's a demand, which is what religion says. Lastly, so what do they get? Simon gets what he's asking for. Simon gets a lecture, he gets a seminar. Simon, I have a case study for you. There are two people, and that's all he gets. You know what she gets? David, you can you, come on up. You know what she gets? She gets more than she could have ever asked for. You know what she gets? She gets the ability to love people and the ability to love life. She gets the ability to love people and love life. What do I mean? Jesus, he who's forgiven little, loves little but he is forgiven much love. Now, for those of you, please, 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 if you are one of those people that has a difficult time of genuinely loving people and genuinely loving life, please, please, be honest with yourself. if you're genuine, you're critical, you're judgmental, you're highly, you know, if you are one of those people, you need to pay attention because what Jesus says here is well, your ability to love people and love life has very little to do with your personality, your temperament, your family background, but it's everything to do with two things. It everything to do with the number one, whether you see yourself as deeply sinful, And on the other hand, whether you see yourself although as completely forgiven. Your ability to love people and love life is dependent on whether you see yourself as completely sinful, deeply sinful, and yet also completely forgiven. The gospel, why? Because here's the thing. The reason why you can't love people, especially when they wrong you, when they offend you, when they hurt you, is because either you're too high, in other words, you think too much of yourself, and you're proud. You look at that person going, there's no way I'm going to forgive you. Why? Because at the end of the day, you're going, I'm better than you. I wouldn't do stuff like that. And you won't be able to forgive. Or you're too low. In other words, you don't see yourself as deeply forgiven. That's the reason why some of you can't love people. It's because if you're too low, in other words, you don't realize I am deeply forgiven and accepted by God. You're going to be too discouraged, too disappointed, too joyless and sad. The most self-centered people I know are very depressed, discouraged, joyless people because they're constantly thinking, me, 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 me. How are you going to forgive? And Jesus says, you really love people and love life will come when you know, one, that you are deeply sinful. And it humbles you. You go, I am where I am today simply by the grace of God. Oh, my goodness. If it wasn't for his grace, where the heck would I be? I certainly wouldn't be better off than him or her. It humbles you, but also when you realize the grace of God in your life, you don't stay down discouraged because He says you are forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted. You can take your eyes off of yourself, you don't have to stay in that. Are you having a difficult time forgiving or loving somebody today? I mean, genuinely. He says because you don't see yourself as deeply sinful and you're completely forgiven. What about this whole thing about loving life? I love this part. You know why? Because what Jesus is saying here, he says, your faith has saved you to the woman. Yes, has saved, past tense. There's security. There's assurance. He's saying to the woman, no matter what you do from here on out, You'll never have to wonder whether you're loved, you're accepted, you're secure because the determining factor in your relationship with me is not your past or your present but the determining factor in your relationship with me is my past and my present. So no matter what you do, no matter what you do, And you know what else that does? Jesus says to this woman, go into peace. I know many of us go in peace, but literally it's go into peace. Why? He's saying your, your life, when you know this truth, gospel, is that your life will be an adventure of peace. It'll give you courage to face anything in life. So when you have difficult times, trials, and suffering come your way, Religion, Simon's religion says, look at all that I do for you. Look how I'm a good person. I'm doing all these things. I don't deserve this. You get mad at God, mad at yourself, and joy is robbed. But if you realize, I was deeply sinful, and yet I'm completely forgiven, when difficulties come, God's not punishing you. He paid for all of your punishment. And when difficulties come, we can look to him and say, "I." secure in love one last thing as long as we're enslaved and bound to the thing that fills this cup we'll never be able to walk in freedom because it always answers to the haunting voice in this cup, haunting voice that gives power leverage life, the haunting voice that comes to you and me says, you have to have this, you must have this, you need this, and that voice will never die unless you realize who he is and what he's done for you. As I prayerfully thought about this Sunday, um, I said, you know, God, I know that some people might bristle at this and go oh that's cheesy that's corny it's like youth group campish blah 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 and I was just like you know Lord I know myself and I know that the thing that fills my cup the thing that fills this the thing that I've relied on to give me leverage and power in life God I I can't deal with this on my own and and, and, and God just you know kind of spoke to me and said you know what Peter on Sunday give everybody a cup Ask everybody in church the question, what fills that? And then he said, challenge them, invite them to come forward and to pour it out. Pour it out. Whatever it is, pour it out and say, God, I don't want this to be the leverage and power in my life anymore. I want to be free so i'm gonna at this time invite you church those of you upstairs on the balcony as well you want to do business with the lord leave your belongings where they're at and we're not going to spend a ton of time just have a little time this morning We don't have a lot of room in front of the cross, but there's lots of room over there and over this end. Please, before you go home today, my challenge and encouragement to you, bring that cup, pour out the contents of that cup, and do business with Him. Do business with Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I would encourage you to not let this opportunity pass by. There are significant moments in our journey where the call of God comes via whoever and it's a decisive moment in life and you let those moments pass by long enough and sometimes our heart gets hardened to them. I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, and for those of you that are sitting in your chairs, I want to encourage you guys to sit and pray for people that you might know, people up here, people that you might know that wrestle with. Please, church, New Community Covenant Church, balcony people, we're going to take time for you, we're going to take time for you, we're going to take time for you. Pour out the contents of that cup. Pour out the contents of the alabaster jar for you. Pour it out and do business with him. And I want to honor your courage up here by this morning by just giving you some time for you to pray. Is there anybody else? I'm going to wait until every person that's had an opportunity to do this is done and then we will go ahead and respond in prayer and in worship. Is there anybody else? say, I give it to you. Jesus, I give it to you. I repent of this, and I give it to you. I repent of this, and I give it to you. I repent of this, and I give it to you. I pour it out to you I pour it out to you I, I empty it to you I pour it out and I empty it for you I pour it out and I empty it for you I pour it out and I empty it for you I pour it out and I empty it for you Take all of it, take all of it. Take all of it, take all of it, take all of it. I pour it out, I pour it out, I pour it out to you. This will no longer be my security, it will no longer be my foundation. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. Thank you, Jesus, that you receive our gift. You receive our sacrifice. You receive the surrendering of who we are and what we have. Hey, church, can you do me a huge favor at this time? Can you just, as I pray right now, can you just go ahead and put your arm on the person just standing next to you? Just gently put your arm on them. Because we're going to pray this prayer, benediction together. God, As our hands, as our hands are laid down, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for this brother, for this sister, God, that in this week of wrestling with you and journeying with you, God, that you would speak to them. And the very thing that fills their cup, God, that you would speak to them and that they would be men and women of courage who would be able to pour it out for you to you so we lift each other up as together as community we journey this in the name of the Father in the name of the Son in the name of the Holy Spirit what I want to ask you to do church for those of you that left your cups up here if you guys could come on up take the cup for this reason for one week just for one week put the cup in a very visible place upside down where you could be reminded each day, whether it be at work, in your dormitory, at home, of the prayer that you made today. So please do that. Don't leave any cups in the sanctuary. Please, please, please. Take it with you. Take it with you. Let it be a reminder. And sign up for baptism class if you are wanting to be baptized on Easter Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you, both now and and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. All of God's people said, amen. Have a great week.